Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks, I'm your host Connor Maxwell. Today I'm joined with Alan Sherry ODE, who is the current chair of the CLD Standards Council. Alan discusses his career within the college sector and what he's currently up to just now. So without further ado, here is Alan Sherry. Alan, if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself and your career in CLD. Sure. Um, I've, as Connor said, I've been chair of the Standards Council now since April 2019. Uh, and before that, I was a principal in the college in Glasgow and I've worked mostly in Glasgow either in CLD or in the college sector for all my, virtually all my career, yeah. apart from a couple of years in Motherwell and some time with the inspectorate. Um, my career started um, way back in the dim and distant past for most of your listeners, Connor, <laughs> in 1982-83 when I joined the then Strathclyde Region's Adult Tutor Service. Cool. Uh, and again... That was a service the Regional Council established to work with young people on the Youth Opportunities Programme, uh, which was another was a government scheme then about youth unemployment. Now we have different schemes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The names haven't evolved, changed, but it's the same idea. And during that time, I worked mainly... Um, well, I worked in Glasgow Division, and I worked mainly in the circuit in Canvas Lang and in Easter House, Greater Easter House. Nice. And met some interesting characters during my time there. I met the great Jimmy Shields, um, who was the area officer at the time. Um, many people have been familiar with Jimmy yeah. and, his, and um, his nephew Jamie, who's still a key part of community learning development in Easter House. Brilliant. And people like Jim Polly, who were long-standing uh, senior community education workers and then moved on. It was a really interesting experience um, in lots of ways. Got to do some interesting stuff with the Easter House Festival Society, which was a, an interesting gig. And also working with a range of young people with a, a number of challenges that nowadays would be categorised in a way that we didn't at the time. Yeah. We developed programmes to meet their needs without putting a label on it, which mm. was really interesting. So... Did that for about 18 months, uh, two years, and then, um, because of political circumstances changing, the tutor service was being wound up, right. and I found myself compulsory transferred to Central College of Commerce in Glasgow, where I predominantly taught public administration subjects to um, daily release students mainly. Yeah. and um, some uh, full-time students. Uh, that's why pr one thing Professor Bald and I have in common, we're both political science graduates. <laughs> nice. <laughs> During my time as an adult tutor, though, I started the Diploma in Adult Education as a postgraduate student part-time at the University of Glasgow. Cool. Uh, and because I was fundamentally interested in adult learning uh, and community development approaches. So that took me two years, did that got my diploma, the postgraduate diploma, and uh, that was an interesting experience. Spent some time working with people um, who worked for a number of different organisations yeah. in the third sector. Uh, the Van Leer Foundation, which was a big American charity who started to do some work in Glasgow, and they were doing some work based on programmes in Boston, mm -hmm. which they tried to replicate in Glasgow and didn't really fit, but it was an interesting experience. Yeah. But How come it never fit? The, the Americans were really keen to lift it as it was. Yeah. And if you, and I don't know if anybody's watched The Wire at all, but if you've watched The Wire, there's that, lots of the, the issues around Boston are about race. Right, okay. Uh, and about the poverty associated with race and drug dealing. And and though, I'm not saying we don't have those issues in Scotland about in terms of race or yeah. or or drug dealing, but it wasn't the same industrial scale. So some of the plans didn't actually work. Yeah. Um, so needed adapt to needed suit. suit. And that was always a challenge because of the way the funding operated for them. Right. But it was really interesting to have those kind of conversations mm -hmm. about what we were doing on the ground and what they were doing. Yep. Um, and then the British Council at that time were, was paying for some people from Africa to come across to talk about, um, sorry, to do the course 
and then move on to do the Masters of Education. Uh, and it was interesting talking to them about how they saw community-based learning, mm -hmm. and, and particularly at that time, because that's what I was doing, was adult learning, um, what adult learning meant to them. So it was a really interesting thing to do. Yeah. The problem was we were doing it part-time over two years and some people were doing it for a year. So you, uh -huh. you get like about, you get half of what they were doing while they were doing something else. But that was fascinating and that got me really interested in like the pedagogy, the approaches and of course, like everybody else who's, who does CLD, is like you yeah. get into Fern, Frere and Gamshay and all, and that underpins what you then do. So did that like doing your um, diploma through there, did that change your way of thinking and your way of doing things? It certainly informed my practice. Yeah. Um, it made me think really, I was much, became much more reflective in my practice, I yeah. think, um, and much more aware that the important thing around effective CLD is working in partnership with the learner, yep. but not in a kind of, let's sit down and we'll discuss partnership learning. It's about how do you construct it and how, and how that works. And that very Ferrarian approach of the, you need to start where people are, of what they need to do and what they want to do in order to help them make their decisions rather than, uh, now I've arrived, I can tell you what to do. Yeah. Um, I can contrast what I did there when I when I was sent to do my formal teaching qualification. Um, and it's like two totally different approaches yeah. um, in terms of what it actually means. And that, that for me has always been a big dichotomy about the notion of what we see in CLD as... Mm -hmm how we work with learners and what I was given in terms of this is what you need to do to be a teacher in a, in a college. Yeah. Um, that was a fascinating... Did, did you struggle with that? Like the, the balances of the approaches and how you do things? Intellectually, yes. But again, I think, you know, it's one of the things that is, is one of the great survival skills for people like me is that I'm a conformist at some levels and that I had to pass, so I had to give them back what they wanted. Yeah. So rather than answer the question... <laughs> I would like to have answered, I just gave them back what they wanted and, and, and didn't rail against it as such. You just did it in order to get through because it was important to get through professionally. Um, but it was also interesting because there were things that we were taught in that programme that are useful mm -hmm. uh, and you adapt and amend to it. Um, just it was a philosophical difference that was the challenge at first. And, yeah. You know, sometimes you just got your head down and got on with it. Aye, totally. So totally. that's just, just what I did. So, so, when I was at Central um, College of Commerce, predominantly it was uh, younger people. But at that time, Strathclyde Region had a lot of workers, particularly in the social work area, doing community development type roles, mm -hmm. but with no formal qualifications. So the Regional Council decided that um, they were going to send these people on a course to prepare them to go to Strathclyde University to do formal qualifications. You, you know, people may, probably not be aware, maybe that's where this is a bit of background. Strathclyde had a lot of clout mm -hmm. at that time because it funded courses. All right. Um, uh, it funded part of the adult education programme at Glasgow University, the, the extramural programme, but it also sent a lot of people uh, to both Glasgow and Strathclyde who were members of staff. So suddenly these adults were appearing in, in, in the college and I got called in um, to be told that you're teaching these people because you're the only person with an adult education qualification and they're scary because they've got their own views and they don't just accept what you tell them at the front of the class. Which <laughs> was great. scary. But, but, but it was just great fun. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I taught that group for the three, four years the region ran that group. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I learned a lot from people who were um, in social work settings, but we would recognise them as community development mm -hmm. workers. Um, it was a fascinating experience, brilliant classes to work with. Um, the thing they reeled against is at the end of the day, part of my job was to make sure they passed an exam. Um, and that was the big challenge, is to, yeah. get, them, is to get them to recognise how much they already knew, mm -hmm. but then say to them, but this is how you need to do it in order to pass the exam. Yeah. Um, and I could understand their frustrations. But it was a great experience for me because I learned so much from teaching those students over those, that period of time. Um, so I was at Central for about six, seven years and then I moved to John Wheatley College yep. uh, and John Wheatley College was the only one opened by Strathclyde Regional Council and it was part of the Glasgow East Area Regeneration, Renewal, sorry, Renewal Project. 
John Wheatley's in Easter House, isn't it? In Shettleston and in Easter House. Yeah. Uh, originally, it was only going to be in Shettleston yeah. in the old East Bank Academy in Shettleston Road. But they were closing schools at the time um, yeah. as part of the, 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 because of demographic change. And there was a big political campaign. And just before the college opened in August, eight, August 1989, um, they gave us part of the Westwood building. The West, well, Westwood, what was Westwood School, the raising of the school age, leaving age block. And, that, and, right. so that was like, and that's something some of our listeners will need to go away and look that up. <laughs> but they raised the school leaving age from 15 to 16 and they built bigger schools. So we got part of that building as well. Cool. And we're told um, as of August 1989, you need to run a college. And I went to join that because the, it was sold on the basis of this isn't going to be a standard FE college. This is going to be a college that works with its communities, Mm -hmm. that develops different types of programmes, whilst also offering traditional FE qualifications. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought that was really exciting and interesting. So I was one of the original members of staff um, at that college. Um, That was a fascinating experience. Yeah. Especially getting in at the very start. Like... I don't think I've met anybody who's been one of the original members of staff or something that's been built like that. I, I mean, it was like scary as get out. I mean, like we didn't have any furniture, um, setting up telephone numbers, no prospectus, trying to recruit students for August, no systems, you know, making doing meant. It was it was a brilliant experience mm-hmm. at one level, but how we survived it at another is <laughs> as scary as get out. Um, and it was difficult because it was, it was at a time when there wasn't very much money kicking around. There was a lot of, um, a lot of conversations about where colleges were going and about how the regional council was going to fund new developments. So one of the things that we did in that college was try and engage with our communities because at the time, participation in post-school education in the East End and Easter House was the lowest in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So we, my role ended up um, as well as teaching um, a bit, was working with community groups to try and establish community-based learning programmes in partnership with the CLD teams, yeah. which was a big advantage to me because some of the people I'd worked with in the, a previous life were still in key roles cool. in, um, in Easter House particularly, um, and to talk to them about how we could work together. At that time, Strathclyde had a joint programme where colleges and CLD staff, community education is what it's called then, worked to deliver programmes. Mm-hmm. To get a short 10-week programmes, you bid for funding and you delivered them collectively. Um, some of them were based on open university programmes and some you just designed from scratch. Yeah. And that was a really interesting experience as well. Um, always fascinating to, to sit down and talk about how could we do this and who should be doing it and how should we be doing it. And then how we could create pathways for people, because yeah. that was also one of the big challenges. Is that there was a there was a tendency at the time for people to think that they couldn't move on, mm-hmm. and that was part of the role as well. It was good fun, scary at times. Yeah, um, some challenging people to me. Um, I tell this story <laughs> quite a lot, and, and it's like uh, I, I used to get sent to public meetings and. But it was quite difficult times in Easter House in the early 1980s in particular. And um, you'd be really glad if housing and social work turned up because if they were going to get a doing, by the time it got to you, you'd get an easier time. Aye, you can come in as a good guy. Aye, I could come in smiling, offer something that looked Aye. reasonable. But um, one, of the, one of the community activists I met at the time, um, a woman called Dan Souter, who said to me, um, so how long are you going to be here for, son? And I said, well, we're here for a long time. This is a big commitment. Aye, they all say that. And about um, when the college was like 20, 25 years old, she, I said that. I said, well, and I'm still here. She said, aye, but I'm still trying to get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> but Anne, Anne became one of the biggest supporters of the college. And that was the important thing about mm-hmm. what we were trying to do is we wanted people to think that the college was theirs, yeah. not something that had been parachuted in and imposed on them. Mm-hmm. And we worked really hard to make it a community college in that sense, that people in the area saw it as being theirs and they had influence over it. And that's where I think, well, that's where I know 
certainly myself and the other senior staff, as it we worked through it, we brought that that ethos. Is, it wasn't about us telling them what to do. It's about how can we work together to deliver something, um, and that was that was key. Yeah, big, and it gives them a, a sense of community as well, and also it gives them a sense of being something to aspire to and achieve to also attend when it's been brought in as well, didn't it? Uh, yeah, and what we were trying to do was to was to be really honest. Yeah. It's like one of the things that was difficult at the time in terms of educational systems that people weren't particularly honest mm-hmm. about what they did and how what the constraints were. I don't mean they were dishonest in their practice. I mean, yeah. that they just tend to say, this is what it is because that's the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. We were quite happy, and normally me, it has to be said, to say that... Um, this is what we can do, and this is what we can't do. And we can't do this because either we don't have money, we don't have resources, mm-hmm. or basically it's impossible for me to do that and keep my job. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm sure everyone in CLDs had that mad request at some point. It's like, why don't you just bend every single rule in the Western world? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there was that aspect of it. And we tried to do that, and we tried to make sure that, when, that we gave people a say and what they designed, yeah, so yeah. that when we when they got to the position where well, this is a syllabus that we must teach in order for you to pass, they were more comfortable about discussing with the member of staff teaching them the content and what, what was being mm-hmm. delivered, rather than real against why do I need to do this assessment exercise? Yeah. Because by that point they recognised that 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 was what they had to do. So and so that that was really I think an important piece of how I think we should work as educators yeah. it's about constructing part, effective partnerships listening to what people want to learn creating transition articulation routes and preparing them for the next stage and it, it was great, I mean it was time consuming and kind of and challenging and there was all sorts of things you would rail against and rail against everybody because you at one point it's a bit like you know being a Millwall supporter everybody hates us but we don't care um, <laughs> so that we took all that whole bit on that we were trying to yeah, do yeah. something and we became highly motivated about it and the notion of ethos and that's what I think underpins a really effective CLD workers that commitment and that ethos about what we're trying to do to help people yeah. um, not in a patronising way but uh, support them change their lives the way they want to change them rather than the way that Middle class people might think they should change them. Yeah, totally. totally. So, so that 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 was me. Um, I spent most of my time, well, the bulk of my career at John Wheatley, became the principal, and then mm. um, the government, the Scottish government, decided they wanted to merge colleges, and therefore we merged ourselves with two other colleges in Glasgow, North Glasgow College and Stowe College, and I spent the last seven, eight years of my career being principal there um, trying to take some of that ethos across the rest of the north of the yeah. city so, um, so Was I, that challenging? <laughs> well that's a totally different podcast about the challenge <laughs> yeah, of merger totally. right, okay, and okay. what that means um, But We went through a wee merger so I, I get the challenges of mergers of yeah. bringing people together So, But I think one of the important things was that there was an appetite for that kind of change. Yeah. And people bought into it and people bought into the, the need to work differently to create different approaches. Uh, so some of the things we did is we started the learning network uh, at, at John Wheatley, which was relatively small scale. It was just mm-hmm. meant to be so that no one had to walk any more than a couple of kilometres to get to a centre where they could access a computer that was mm-hmm. in the college's network. By the time I retired, it was sponsored by the Wheatley Group and it was called the John Wheatley Learning Network and there was like 41 venues across the North and East particular but in other parts because particular parts of the city um, where folk thought this is a really good idea Mm -hmm. but it was placing resources in community venues that could be used by the community at the rest of the time not only when the college was there but it had access to the resources the college could provide in terms of the super fast broadband staff and, and technical support. And that's for me was also one of the key things about what people 
often don't understand about our role in CLD is we're mm-hmm. the glue that helps other organisations deliver if they deploy their resources effectively mm-hmm. rather than colleges or universities or schools rock up and say, oh, we can do what you do. They can't no. because there are there are different types of institutions trying to do different types of things. Whereas if they work in partnership with us, we can all benefit and most importantly our learners benefit from the resources and the experiences and the talents of different ranges of staff at different times. Yeah. So, so, so th- that's kind of to, that's basically the broad brush about what I could bore everybody to tears about um, how you create programs and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think anybody wants to hear that. No, but I think I'd like to bend your ear on that one, maybe even after this, because that's one of the big things we do is program development and doing that, try to do that from scratch and build that and package that, run about the learners that are in front of you and all that sort of stuff. So it'd be good to have a chat about that. Sure. Um, so then why did you decide a career in CLD? Can a CLD pick me, if you know what I mean? Aye, totally. Um, in the sense is that I fundamentally believe in the power of education to change people's lives. And I know that sounds dead pie, isn't it? It's not meant to be. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Twitter quote. <laughs> but, but it is. I do nice. fundamentally believe that. Yeah. And uh, whether it means that it gives, you know, people the ability to to read and write, the ability to get qualifications to get better jobs, the ability, mm-hmm. which I think is absolutely fundamentally key to hold um, people in power to account, mm-hmm. um, particularly on how they spend budgets and what they're supposed to do with those budgets. And CLD seems to me to be the natural place to do that. Yep. Um, because institutions exist rightly to deliver the social capital, part of the social capital element, part of it that's tied really closely to the economy, about giving people the skills that they need for work. Um, and there's a huge debate about that, but the reality of it is people need jobs. Mm-hmm. Often jobs require skills, particularly in the 21st century, different types of skills, but people still need skills to gain employment. Whereas for me, CLD is more about creating... A f- citizenship in its broadest sense mm-hmm. and giving people the ability and empowering them to create the, the type of society and type of community they want to live in and I think that's fundamentally important yeah. and I get back to that it changes your lives if you feel empowered and you have the skills to challenge you can make a difference rather than having things done to you and I, I find, fundamentally believe that that's why CLD does and that's why it why it works when it works well it's so effective totally totally and I think excuse me <coughs> but I think that as well that that idea as well that <coughs> you, you you didn't go out looking for CLD that's from your beliefs and what you believed in you then found that and it found you in that sense so you were able then to make that difference because you found the perfect field in between I suppose traditional education and informal education and make that what you've made it and have that experience Yeah and I think I was fortunate in the sense as going to going to start an institution being part of a group of people that started an institution from scratch where there was no template where you were trying to unpick maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, however many years yeah. of this is the way we've always done it. So you could recruit staff to do things differently. Yeah. And I think that's key in all this is you need to recruit the right people to do the jobs. Totally. And you need to recruit people who get the ethos. Sometimes, and this is sacrilegious, is the person who's in charge, or sorry, the chair of the Standards Council, not in charge, Marion's in charge, um, <laughs> is that sometimes... Only qualifications are not the best predictor of how good someone's going to be. People need to buy into that, the ethos and the principles. And that's fundamental. And, you know, anyone can do a job if they have the necessary qualifications. But do you do it well? Do you do it effectively? And do the people with whom you work feel as if you've invested in them? And I think fundamentally that makes what's another... that's another thing that's really important in effective CLD practices. People feel you've invested in them. You don't need to be their pal all the time. You don't yep. need to agree with them all the time. But they have to fundamentally believe that you want them to be supported to do what they want to do, but not told what to do. Yeah. 
Um, I know, and I, I think that's fundamental of what we do, and I think that that's key. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, what what was your favourite thing about teaching? Um, I taught some boring stuff, right? Um, <laughs> every teacher's boring stuff. I used to have to teach people um, proportional representation systems before MD in British politics thought proportional representation was interesting. So boring things like how you do calculations. But I thought the best thing about teaching was the student had always struggled but worked really hard, who became successful, who didn't think that they could. Yeah. And, and, and and that was always, you know, there, there's, there's something, you know, there are some things going on in teaching. That in effect, there are some people, no matter what we do to them, they'll be successful. But it's the people who struggle a bit or the people who look, think that they can't. Mm-hmm. That's the best bit. And I, I enjoyed the interaction with learners and being challenged. You know, that bit of trying to create a, an atmosphere, both within the CLD setting or a college setting, is I don't know the answers to everything. Yeah. This is what I, this is what I think, but how do we talk about it? How do we just discuss it and get challenge involved? So I think that that was the best thing. And there is there is a bit that when you meet people when they've gone gone on in their career, and you've played some small part in helping yeah. them take a step. And that was one of the, that was also one of the bonuses of like some of the people whom, whom I taught very early on, some people I taught on YTS programs, who became senior officers um, in the local authority or third sector organisations, right. who I met at well, I was getting towards the end of my career, and they were getting towards like that the takeoff point in their career, and that was that was really good. But yeah. equally, it was really good to 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 think that that you met people in the community whose lives had changed um, as well. I changed their lives. I didn't. All I did was was part and parcel of a process that helped them change their lives. Yeah. Um, but being able to sit down and chat to them about how, how things were different now was was always really good. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, you've been on a wide range of national programs, and you and you are as well currently. So, the, what is it that maybe drove you towards more maybe national pieces of work? Some of it is um, some of it was if you cause enough bother. People think if they co opt you on a group, you'll shut up. Um, so I find myself. Well, they wrong. <laughs> uh, well, that's probably not for me to say, but yeah, um, I've, I've never been known to shut my mouth when I've got something to say. Uh, so I ended up on things because, in some circumstances, what, in the, particularly in a college setting, what we did was an outlier beyond every other outlier. And if we weren't involved, everyone else was talking about it in a distilled way. Mm-hmm. So you got on, on to that. And it, and there were other things that I was interested in, so I tried to to get some sort of say mm-hmm. and tried to, to get on, on board. Um, interestingly enough, I'm asked to participate in things now I was never asked to do when I was a college principal. <laughs> um, suddenly I've become respectable, I think. Um <laughs> But I would agree with that. But, but um, it, I always thought it was important to be to try and influence policy because policy decides where resources go, mm-hmm. and there's no point in railing against policy failure if you're not at least prepared to put yourself up to be involved in the battle about Paul how policy is created and it put forward your point of view. Yeah. Uh, so. I think that's really important because you're then you're doing something rather than sitting maybe in the office or just chatting with colleagues you're actively then trying to change and make a change for me you make a decision whether you decide it's better to try and affect change within the structures that exist rather than set out all those structures and be um, ah, nothing's ever going to change yeah. and throw rocks at that if you don't at least try you I always felt if I went and I tried to to influence policy and tried to do things, even if it didn't change as radically as I would have liked, if it changed a bit, that was something. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it didn't change, at least I or my colleagues had tried. Yep. And I think that was really important. So one of the things that we always tried to do was to get representation on groups where or at least our voice was heard. And and then you then you can say when things go badly wrong. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't work the way people imagine it's going to do. You can you can put your hand in your heart and say, "Well, I told you that wasn't going to happen." Yeah. 
Um, and when it works, you just like sit back and let other folk take all the credit for how clever they were. <laughs> and I think that's always the best way to operate. Yeah. Um, so for us, for me, that was important. And and then you, because people see you contributing, you tend to get asked to join other things. Yeah. Um, it just kind of it's, it's kind of spirals a wee bit. Yeah, definitely. So what does your role, um, your current role as the chair of the Standards Council involve? And I sort of suppose maybe a wide sense. Well, in the first instance, um, I'm responsible for the operation of the council at mm-hmm. um, the kind of strategic and governance level. Marion clearly is the person who runs the council. Um, I chair the executive committee, I chair the, the, the cross committee com- committees and so on I am asked to represent the sector um, in, a num- in a number of settings for example I've been asked to, to represent the sector on the Scottish Education Council which I think is the first time someone from our sector has yeah, had representation major news, major. on that um, I have was involved in the ministerial Covid recovery stuff, um, particularly the first Part of the, the 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 position. Sorry, the first part of the the COVID episodes. Now, Marion and Tim and Jackie and um, Mick are now on that group. Yep. So I've stood back from that. Yeah. So that's part of it. I meet with minister, the minister, on a regular basis to talk about issues related to our agenda. The government's agenda, particularly at the moment, we're um, interested in what the, the, the you'll know the current administration had a commitment in their manifesto to look to look at CLD regulations. Mm-hmm. That's a big interest to us, clearly, as the council. So we're some discussions with that. Meet regularly with the senior civil servants and advanced learning and science who are responsible for CLD to talk about policy, where policy is taking us, about resources, about how the CLD strategic plans are implemented and the professional learning associated with that and also we have discussions with colleges and universities um, around the provision of the the courses Mm -hmm. that lead to CLD professional qualifications so kind of like that Um, So you've not really retired is what what (laughs) was really what I'm hearing here (laughs) Well yeah I have retired in the sense it's like it's, it's not the same I, I, the big, the big difference is that I'm not a manager in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is a big difference, and I, I, and I'm quite clear in my head is there's a, a clear division, mm-hmm. and this is what I do as the chair, yep. and this is what Mary and the team do, and do very, very well. Yeah. Um, because they're the officers. Yeah. Um, and what I try to do is take the opportunity to influence in the way that, that I can mm-hmm. but also because I'm not an officer there are occasions where it's easier for me to to say, to say difficult messages yeah. than it would be for someone who who who's employed yeah, totally. and I don't mean that just you know to burn down the house kind of stuff it's sometimes it's you, you there are things that have to be said and it's easier for me to say them yeah and I no, do that. definitely and the reason why I asked that question is I think that um a lot of people might not know, the, I suppose, the background and the amount of work that the Standards Council really do. So it was just to get an overview as well about what your role really was as well and like the amount that the Standards Council really would do towards our field and making us the sort of as good as we can be in developing the field across the country. Yeah, well, you know, clearly, well, you be aware that we've had revision recently of the some of the degree programmes yeah. and the college programmes and there's there's work going on it's now in terms of redeveloping the HN um, Susie and Marion have a group where colleges and the universities who provide their qualifications mm-hmm. get together regularly to talk about those okay. there's a rolling programme of it's going to be an annual programme now of Review is probably the wrong word. I can't remember what the technical phrase is we use now, but engaging with those who offer our programmes each year to see how those programmes going. Brilliant. Um, we have discussions with our employers about well, what do you think about um, how what happens in the courses that are approved by the council or delivered? 
do they meet your needs? Yeah. What changes are. We work very closely with Education Scotland around developing professional learning programmes. You'll have seen the digital stuff yep. that's come out recently and the open university programmes. That's those kind of work. Um, last year, we had a, a piece of work done on progression on pathways mm-hmm. in CLD, which gave us a clear idea of what programmes are offered and how they relate to each other and how, how and if they articulate but also gave us an idea of where there is limited opportunity mm-hmm. to access CLD qualifications. And broadly speaking, if you don't live in the Central Belt and you live any further north than Dundee, in any, uh, you probably get very little chance of getting access to a CLD qualification, yeah. either in a college or a university. So that's something that, that, that we're, we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've recently done a well, we conducted a big piece of work. I think some of you guys were involved in it on micro-credentials mm-hmm. and what micro-credentials might mean for our sector. Our concern was that we didn't want a model imposed that didn't reflect what we do yep. and how we do it. We didn't want someone to say, oh, only micro-credentials approved are ones delivered in this way, either for people in work um, that are rated solely about vocational levels or postgraduate level micro-credentials for people who are... So that was a big piece of work and we'll be sharing that with the civil service soon. Brilliant. Uh, and meanwhile, we were we recognised that probably the digital offer is, could be enhanced mm-hmm. further and um, Kirsty Gemmell's been seconded for six months to look at what digital provisions available and how we could yeah. We can best support that. And then there's the day-to-day stuff of like being involved, not me personally, but the team involved in the adult learning strategy, um, the youth work strategy yeah. uh, that's going on. So the, the staff members in the team are working on a range of things at all times, sometimes policy, sometimes very practical, uh, and sometimes a bit of forward thinking on our mm-hmm. part. And you be aware that you know, Marion and Kirsty in particular are involved in UK-wide groups yeah. and to make sure that our qualifications are portable. So if somebody decides they want to go and work in London, our qualifications are recognised and vice versa. If somebody wants to leave London and come to to work here, we recognise that their qualifications is, is, yeah. has validity. So. Yeah, but I think what's, what's really good for me, if I see everyone about the Standards Council and everything they do, it's always about moving forward and improving. And I, and what you've just said there is all about that. It's, it's making sure that then there's the longevity behind CLD and what we do, and that can only improve us as a sector, totally. And I think certainly since I've been chair, is like members have been really engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one of our concerns was, particularly during COVID with lockdown and, the, and what it meant, for the services that we offer, particularly with people being redeployed and yeah. doing other things, um, there was a great danger that people would disengage from the Standards Council. But it's been the opposite. Yeah. Memberships increased during the period. Our uptake of the prof- professional learning that we've offered has been really high. And the response to the conference, the online conference, yeah. has been excellent. I mean, and I think, you know, we were surprised but really grateful that people bought into the online conference element as well because it had been dead easy not to. Yeah, no, definitely. The conference was great. It was great. Um, and I was a bit, I think now, especially coming back in from being face-to-face, that idea of coming back into Zoom, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that. But but how that was, the conference was actually done was still engaging and you felt involved that there wasn't that disconnect where sometimes you get, get with these things. Yeah, and I also think it was really... You know, We've also had great support from the Minister mm-hmm. and he's been very powerful in support for CLD and the work that we do. But also getting Professor Ball to come and speak to us was a, was a huge coup. Yeah, definitely. Um, she's now the... I, I think she's the permanent um, social policy advisor. She was interim at the time. But I think she's the permanent social policy advisor of the Scottish Government now. Getting her to come and speak to us and to listen to what members had to say was really important. And it... it and that's a contact that's really important for us because she'll be advising the government on a range of things and being aware of what we do is really powerful, I think, for us to, to take that on. Yeah, definitely is. Definitely is. Um, 
One of the other things you're involved in is Fuse Youth Cafe. Um, so I, I had a wee, I had a look on their website, and I was actually, I was so amazed to see, and I was really actually buzzing to see and listen that they've got a young person-led podcast uh, called Talk to Me. Um, so they do, and so it was just to hear a wee bit of information if you managed to like listen to some of the episodes or know anything about the people involved because I just I just think it's a great initiative because they're talking about real issues of, that face young people it's and they're talking about also just fun stuff though I think they were talking one of the episodes they spoke about like movies and different bits but I think the podcast is a really good idea um yeah. and, and it, I have listened to them but I've not been involved in them yeah um at all it, it ties in with what they we've been trying to do through the game Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've not already had a chance to check out the game online, I checked on the website. Yeah. So somebody, you need to check out the game. It's that's a joint piece of work that um, Fuse have done with Glasgow Kelvin College, Brilliant. Um, where and other organisations to give young people activities online that are meaningful, that create mm-hmm. points, and there's a kind of competition element to it, and in, in the right sense of it. But it's about accrediting points to deliver things. And that was an that was an important part of it, and the podcast kind of spun off a wee bit mm-hmm. of that, particularly during lockdown, because we were concerned. I, I'm on the board at Fuse mm-hmm. um, mainly because uh, Jerry, who's the chief officer, I've known Jerry since Jerry was a youth worker in Easterhouse before he went to do his CLD qualification. Nice, um, and he huckled me. That's the only word to describe it. <laughs> Um, as soon as he found out I was retiring, he huckled me to join his board. Um, um, I think just for somebody to talk to, I'm like, no, it's not true. So, um, so it's been really interesting, uh, and it, my, it's a fundamental change in the relationship because I, I, all kind of said I did know him when he was a, a yeah. he was a youth a youth worker before he went to do his, his <laughs> qualifications, um, and then working with them when I led an institution and he was working his way through this to being on the board and that's been interesting it's a great organisation because though it's called Fuse Youth Cafe they actually do a a lot of adult learning spun off from that the family learning aspect of it with um, particularly some of the local primary schools has an adult element to it, a big adult element to it about preparing people for the next stage, doing work with the Housing Association Mm -hmm. um, and doing other more really interesting things. I mean, I don't know if you saw in the paper the other week, their impact arts are going to work on a mural in Shettleston, restore a mural in Shettleston, but it involves Fuse as well. So there's lots going on there. Um, And it's good to see from a different perspective mm-hmm. about what effective youth work on the ground actually is. But it's not just youth work. It's, yeah. it's actually CLD. And that whole element of you can't balkanise what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, people. I, I know people describe themselves as, you know, I'm an adult educator, I'm a youth worker, I'm a community development worker. But we're all about learning. Yeah. We're all about education. And how many people only ever work with young people or adults or only ever do community development. It doesn't work that way. Infuse is a fine example of all the parts meet together yeah. and, de- and deliver in that way. It's awesome. it's interesting, it's really fascinating. Aye, well, it's amazing. And you know, one of the things that... This is, this is sad, so I totally understand that this is sad, but the website's cracking. Like, their website's really good. It's really, really clear. So it was really good for them to come in and have an actual look at what they do because there's a lot of information there where you can get a lot of background about the organisation, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. And I think what what we're trying to do, and from the board side, is, is again, and there's not, not some other really good people there, Rosemary Dixon, who, Dixon, who used to be the, the chief executive of FAIR, mm-hmm. Family Action and Roger Field and Easterhouse, yeah, yeah. big project. She's on that board as well. So what we're kind of trying to do is is take some of the corporate stuff that we brought with us from our organisations and strengthen that aspect of what we do so that when we're talking to funders, when we're talking to um, others about this, why you should give us resources to mm-hmm. deliver, they're not giving it a, but wait a minute, where are your accounts or where are your this and where are that? So it's, it's getting that sorted. 
And that's been, it's, it's been great, but it's also been great not being responsible for it as well. <laughs> <laughs> ah, totally, <laughs> totally, totally. No, no, but I, I, one of the things I would say, though, that something we don't do particularly well, I think, in our sector is we don't share enough. Yeah, 100%. And that's why we were, Jerry and his team were really keen to get the website up there so people could see what they were doing and to see what they might be able to take from what we're doing. I, I, we totally accept that what works in the East End, and we have a, we work from Pavilion in Easter House as well, um, mm-hmm. it's one organisation but two separate brands, um, might not work in Dumfries and Galloway or might not work in Aberdeenshire. Yeah. As it is, but we think to think there's some ideas here that you could take, take, and we'd be quite happy for people to take those ideas and mould them to their set of circumstances. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the, one of the big things for me with the podcast is about the idea sharing and it's letting people see like different resources, different ideas. And it's great that, that the example's brilliant. And one of the weird, our, our service isn't really caught up yet in terms of like websites and all that online. We've got good social media, but we don't really have the rest of it. Whereas I guess where we really do need to up our game is so that we are clear and we are also showing people like the amount of good work that we're doing, so it's easy access as well. I think one of the, one of the things we one of the things the council needs to consider in terms of professional learning is how do we put on those kind of show and tell type events. Yeah. How do we identify what is good practice and then have an opportunity to say, if you're interested in this type of activity, here are two or three examples. We'll set up a seminar of some description, maybe, mm. and you can come talk to the people, short inputs at the start, and then have a chat. Yeah, that's a great but, idea. Because I'm really conscious of it, and I used to hate all that bit about you know, people used to write books and say, this is how you change the world kind mm. of thing. I like the whites of the eyes discussion. Tell me what didn't work. Yeah. Tell me why you think that worked particularly well in your setting. And having that professional dialogue that makes you go, do you know, that is a really clever idea or that might be okay in your setting and I can't use it exactly that way, but see if I took this and this and coupled it with yeah. that other element, this might work for me. Totally. And it's possibly a discussion we need to have with HMI as well to have more examples on the ground of what is good practice and sharing that good practice. You know, one of the things that used to happen in, in the sector, the college sector, is that HMI used to publish a good practice summary once a year. Here are the key things, key messages. Mm-hmm. We need stuff like that for our sector so that people can see what's going on because our sector is so diverse um, and so disparate. We need that kind of thing kind of stuff yeah no definitely do we definitely do um so the pandemic we'd, we'd mentioned that a wee bit um so how do you think that's impacted cld as a field i think it's really interesting firstly i would want to pay tribute to the hard work everyone in the sector did everyone stepped up yep no matter what they were asked to do whether they were running food banks whether they were dropping food off whether they were visiting the most vulnerable learners. I know that some people were putting paper resources through people's doors, pens, pencils as well. So I think that that we've responded brilliantly and we've shown why we're essential. (laughs) And I think that we've also demonstrated during that period to ministers and others within the education sector how important we actually are to meeting their agenda. But there's a downside to it all in the sense is that I think people sometimes have felt a, felt a bit marginalised because they've been taken away from the particularly the learning aspect of their role. And I think now in the return, it's been very, very difficult getting access to buildings, yeah. getting access to getting groups of learners together, whether they be young people or adults, mm-hmm. access to other community-based resources, whether owned by third sector organisations or by schools. Um, or local authorities, and that's been a big problem. And it's something as a council we've continually raised um, in meetings with ministers and with other officers about we need to get back to giving people access to, to facilities. So I think the pandemic's worked both ways for us. Yeah, I've seen some brilliant stuff, though, some brilliant online stuff that's going on. You think, 
uh, it may have happened, but maybe the pandemic was just that turbo boost that needed to get it there. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I've heard some brilliant, brilliant examples of people going more than the extra mile to support the communities that they work with on. Um, and without that extra support, you've got a gut distinct feeling. Those, some, some people would have suffered even more. What we need to do is to come out of the pandemic saying, we can deliver. We can deliver on the government's agenda. If we're going to build back better, we can't build back the same. Mm-hmm. And we need, to be, we need to be fighting for our space. We need to be fighting for our space and supporting young people um, around the issues from the OECD report and the raising attainment and wider achievement aspects of that, where clearly we have a role yeah. and our professional workers have a key role in ensuring that. Because for many young people, we're their best opportunity yep. of helping raise attainment, but also um, that wider achievement. We have to have a key role as well in supporting adult learners with fewer no qualifications, maybe three, 300,000, maybe 350,000 people in Scotland. If we're moving to this new green economy, those people aren't going to automatically walk into those types of jobs if they're high tech. What's our role in giving people the skills to prepare them for that? And I think there's an opportunity here. We need to think differently about how we deliver the service, but not lose or not lose our soul over how differently we are. Yeah, definitely. And I like I I totally agree about the change and how how we need to do it. And I suppose something a bit more local to me we are we are discussing that at the moment like so what is it that we are doing that how do we now work with a certain group of young people or, or adult learners who've had this total, we've all had this two years where we're trying to come back for this there's the delay in learning there's the delay in behavior how do we how do we now manage that but also are we still as skilled as we were two years at the start of the pandemic as we are now in terms of face-to-face and working that out so we, we're in a better position where we're trying to really crit- critically reflect on ourselves to go well where are we in this so that we can adaptively change so that then we can ultimately improve the people's lives that we're working for in this new way of coming out of the pandemic because everything's that is different and we need issue we should recognize it's different and it's not the same as it was and, and i th- think that's why for us in terms of the Standards Council getting professional learning to have those kind of discussions mm-hmm. so people are confident that they have the skills to meet the new set. And mental health and wellbeing is going to be a key issue mm-hmm. getting, out, getting out of this. Um, and you know, it depends on, you know. Everything we do they know in schools is mental health. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's all, it's targeted um, on the young on young people who, who were struggling to return to school and how do we get them over that line? How can we get them into a full-time timetable again? And I, and one of the things that strikes me about it is, is that probably those mental health issues were there previously. We just didn't talk about them in the same way. We're prepared to talk about them now, yeah. which is a good thing. And it's the same with adults as well. I, social isolation. Uh, and, you know, people talk, oh, it's great working from home. But for lots of people, working from home was, was not great. No. For lots of people, working from home was a challenge. And it reinforced some of the difficulties that they face. So I think there's there's that aspect of it. And we need to adapt the way that we work. But fundamentally, I believe that we've got a highly skilled workforce Mm -hmm. that can do that. But we need to make sure that people have access to professional learning to to further develop the skills they've got. And the council has a role to play in making sure that currently Education Scotland or whatever replaces Education Scotland makes that training available. And the council also has a role to be able to be, to be saying to employers, you need to make time available so that people can undertake this professional learning in the way that you would for, say, school teachers. Yeah, oh, I think I think that's massively important. I think that's massively important. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'll just I'll, I'll frame these two questions, I suppose, just in in the one for uh, just for the simpleness of this. Um, so, what have your What's your biggest, your most memorable moments and highlights, but as well, like what are maybe some challenges you've faced and maybe what have you learned from them? Uh, I, some things that stick with you um, or, um, are kind of strange things. When, was it John Wheatley, we did some work with a North Lanarkshire uh, Council with Jim Sweeney. The great Jim Sweeney, Aye. as we refer to <laughs> in our sector. But with Jim Sweeney... The Don. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and we were doing some work in Coatbridge. And North Lanarkshire did this particularly well. Um, and they were having an award ceremony for the community groups. 
and handing out certificates. And uh, the, I think the deputy provost came along to hand out the certificates, chain of office, the official photographer. And I was having my photograph taken with a woman who would probably be in her mid to late 30s at that point. And, you know, the usual, shake hands, get your photo taken, all that kind of stuff. And as before the photographer took the picture, this woman said to me, and this ages me dramatically, she goes, son, you better smile in this because I'm the first person in my family to get a certificate. Wow. And that struck me as being a memorable moment about the importance of education and how and what that meant to that person. Whereas it's like blasé when you've kind of gone through it all and you know, you've gone a linear journey, school, college. And I, I was never blasé about it myself, but mm. that stuck with me. And I told that story to everyone when I was a senior member of staff, to every new teacher I met, that this is what you've got to put, because this is what it means to people. Yeah. This is the thing that, that fundamentally you're doing if you do your job well. So that was when I, that's one of my memorable moments. Highlights, I think they've got quite a lot of them. Um, you know, I think, you know, John Wheatley itself was a huge social experiment in one sense by the Regional Council. And the highlight was that everyone assumed we were going to fail in 18 months. <laughs> and we were there till merger. We're 25 years by the time the college, when by the time the merger came around, we had the highest level of participation um, per head of population. In Scotland, we had more people from the most deprived communities going through um, college programmes, progressing on. I had members of staff who'd been original students mm -hmm. back in 1989, back teaching at the college. Three, I think, four maybe, local primary head teachers had started off at the college. So there's things like that were, were yeah. our highlights. Um, that was... That was good. Um, challenge. Funding's always been a challenge. Yeah. At all sorts of levels. Merger was a real challenge, but for a whole raft of different reasons. I think the important thing about challenges is how you approach them. Yep. Um, and yeah, you've got to reel against it, but at the end of the day, you've got to make it work. I'm an optimist at heart. Though it doesn't sound it sometimes. I'm an <laughs> optimist at heart. And I think once you've had your say about the challenge, you then just have to get tackle it yeah. and try and get the best possible outcome you you can, and that's the way I look at it. Um, so I've, there are times when things haven't gone as well as you'd have liked, mm -hmm. and you're not made as much progress as I would have liked. Um, but you have to look at it incrementally. What was it? A long march starts with one step, or whatever it is. It's yeah. that kind of conversation. If you, you do, you're not necessarily going to hit everything you want the first time round, yeah. and I think that's kind of the, the approach that that, that that I've tried to deal with it. Um, but also recognise that one of the key things is to do. If you are right, you've got to keep banging away about it, mm -hmm. even if it does mean you're banging your head against the wall. And at some point, somebody will listen. Yeah. I think that, that is that is also I think really really important that um, also there's a bit where you need to stick to your guns a bit. You need to get your point across, and maybe in that initial conversation you don't get there, but then if you fully fundamentally believe in what you mean, then you should keep persevering in that, oh, and proving why as well. No, just saying no. So it's not just being like no, I disagree because, and keep saying it, but then back that up. No, and then one of the important things, as you said, is like you've got to evidence it. Yeah. So that that's why for us very for us as a sector it's really important that we say this is what we've done and this is the impact that we mm -hmm. do. And sometimes we're not very good at that. Yeah. Um, and because we don't collect stats in the way that other parts of the education establishment do, it's a bit different yeah. and a bit more challenging for us to do that. But what we need to do is to start to create a, a body of evidence that demonstrates without us this wouldn't have happened. And some of it could be relatively straightforward. If you look, for example, in the wider achievement piece, mm -hmm. things like the John the John Muir Trust, for example, you know, the the Duke of Edinburgh's awards, yep. things like that are clear clear evidence that people recognise, but not enough people recognise their importance 
in an academic setting, so there's work to be done there. But there are other things that we do that people don't see as being quite so obvious. Mm-hmm. And we need to build a, you know, that, that citizenship part. I, I've said this before, and is that if you look at the Skills Development Scotland paper, Industry 2.0, it, it sets out what they believe are the key meta skills. Mm-hmm. I defy any CLD practitioner to look at those skills and go, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, we do all those things. So what we need to think about is, well, how do we say that across the people who've got access to resources? How do we get that across to um, other people in the education system? That it's not solely about a syllabus that says, this is what you need to do to pass higher history. It's, these are the skills you're going to need. Yeah. Um, and these skills got to be transferable and flexible and create an ability to be a lifelong learner. And again, I think that's crucial for us because lifelong learning has been paid lip service to mm-hmm. for lots. Um, and it's mainly been f- for those who are well qualified, who continue to do it or have a professional need to do it. Yeah. I, and I used to hate this when like men in grey suits came to speak to me when I was young and tell me, you'll all change your careers and, you know, every five minutes kind of thing. But realistically, people are probably well have to change their career five, six times. But it'll not be simply moving from one company to another or one similar job to another similar job in a different environment. It's likely to be radical. And we need to give people the skills. Again, I think CLD is a key role to play in that. Because for many people, they're not going to get, they'll not have the wherewithal to give up their work Mm. for four years or three years or two years or whatever to go back and do a full-time study. It'll be us because we'll be there and we need to think about how we do that. So then, another question I'd like to ask you as well is where is CLD just now, um, and how do you see it evolving and changing in the future? I think we're at the cusp of a huge opportunity. We are, we have the, the opportunity that are going to come from having the two new strategies around adult learning and youth work. Mm-hmm. We've also got a huge opportunity that the pandemic has demonstrated the importance of community development and how central that is to supporting communities at times Mm -hmm. of fundamental change and shock. Um, So it's a huge opportunity for us. We need to to ensure that we grasp that opportunity. And whilst we're we're keen, or we often are often keen, to criticise others for not wanting to do the same again, we can't just do the same again. Yeah. We need to think differently. We need to think about how we create articulation and transition within our own area of work. I mean, sometimes people forget that you're not a young person for that all your life. You yeah. move on throughout your life. How do we make sure that the young people we work with recognise that when they're a wee bit older, an adult education framework for them is really important? Yeah. Sometimes we need to remember that the adult education strategy starts for those that are sixteen, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's that kind of aspect of it. But we also need to recognise that there's a community development aspect in in everything that we do, though we may not call it that. Yeah. Because if we're working with young people, we're hopefully giving them the skills for citizenship. Those skills for citizenship should be about how to develop the communities that they live within, how do they contribute to those c- communities, and how do they crib- contribute to society in a broader sense. How do we give adults, particularly those adults who've been furthest away from the labour market perhaps, or most disengaged from society, the skills to contribute? I mean, if you think about, you know, participatory budgeting, it's a complex task. Mm-hmm. How do we give people the skills to do that? Yeah. So, so there's that aspect of it. But we also then need to think about what do we deliver and how do we deliver it? I do believe that we're, we need to think carefully about micro-credentials and using the SCQF probably in partnership with colleges or some other organisations so that we can accredit what we deliver. Yeah. And it's not for this, not accreditation for accreditation's sake but it's my, but certainly my view going forward that through in the 21st century people will get bits of learning accredited that they'll build together. 
Mm-hmm. Some of it could be about computing. Some of it could be about leadership. Some of it could be about public health. Yeah. So, but people will build them together to make it meaningful, so that they 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 can then demonstrate that as they move on to the next stage in their lives. And I think that's what we need to start thinking about a bit more. And I, I and I can hear people shouting at the podcast out going, "I've got enough to do. I've got enough to do." But the role of the councils to do some of that yeah. high level strategic thinking and provide the scaffolding around how we can help people do that. And I think that we also need to, as a council particularly, get on the front foot again with politicians, um, both national and local, mm-hmm. about our importance and the importance of professionally qualified staff in delivering on their agenda. Um, and that, that's possibly where I think the big issues are at the moment. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I'd like to just finish us on the last question. That I put, we put this at the end of every podcast. Um, so it's, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD? That's a tricky one, isn't it? I think the best piece of advice I could give to anyone doing it is more than one piece of advice because after all that would be too easy (laughs) be a listener Mm. and not just pay lip service to partnership be genuine in what you in partnership working even when you think it's the wrong thing to do and particularly when when there's a challenge about partnership working and finally, don't give up on your principles. Remember what the ethos is behind what we do and why we do it and the importance of what we do. Brilliant. So I think that's a great way to end it. So Alan, thanks, man, for coming out to see us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. I've really enjoyed it. Um, Sorry, I was late. No, you're fine, and thanks as well. You've been a supporter of the podcast as well for day one, so um, really appreciate all the retweets and all the amazing words that you've gave us, so uh, thanks, man. Oh, it's been great. I think the podcast has been a brilliant innovation, and I'm just uh, delighted that people uh, have embraced it so enthusiastically. Brilliant. Cool. Thank you. And cheers, Ben. Thanks very much, Alan, for joining us this week on CLD Talks. It was amazing just to hear your journey and your experience, and it was just great to get to know you that wee bit more. Head over to Twitter at CLD Talks where you can catch up with all previous episodes of the podcast and keep up to date with future information. Thanks very much and catch you next time.